It is really cool to be here. I appreciate Brandon and Connie for inviting me out. And uh, it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. This day, for a long time, didn't, um, didn't resonate well with me. I wasn't a big fan of Father's Day growing up because I, I grew up in a broken home with a dad who uh, wasn't the dad that you would deserve or hope for most of us. Um, so Father's Day wasn't really celebrated a whole lot when I was growing up, but now I get to be a dad. And so I love Father's Day. Sarah's here, my daughter, and my wife Dawn, and um, Father's Day means a whole lot to me now, even more. And it's an honor and a privilege to be here on a Sunday morning and preaching and talking to you guys from the pulpit. Um, we're going to talk about forgiveness this morning. We're going to talk about why we must all forgive. And uh, it's not my words, it's the Bible's words, uh, it's Jesus' words. Um, but we must all forgive. And that's a hard thing for a lot of us to grasp. It really is. It was a hard thing for me. Because if I were asking you to raise your hand, if I was asking you the question, how many people in here have been hurt before and had trouble forgiving someone that hurt them, probably every hand in here would be raised on some level. Uh, for me, for 30 years, I had this sort of love-hate relationship with my dad um, as I lived a very confusing life with him. Uh, my mom and dad got divorced when I was five, so I was in a broken home pretty early on. And my dad was the dad that you didn't go to for advice. He wasn't the dad that you didn't go to when you were looking for some wise counsel. That's not who my dad was. Uh, in fact, I was talking to my brother a couple weeks ago. I have two younger brothers. And I asked him, I said, have you ever asked dad for advice in your entire life? We're in our 40s now. And he's like, I don't think so. I said, neither do I. And that was a sad thing to say, uh, sort of a sad thing to admit uh, when I think about who my dad is, and in all of these years, I mean, that's the person you're supposed to go to for advice when you're like these teens that were up here getting ready to go on to the next life, right? Going to college, like that's the guy you're supposed to ask. And for my dad, my dad was not that guy. He was the dad that was embarrassing me, unfortunately, at baseball games when I was in Little League, and he was the dad who was yelling and screaming and drunk at my basketball games in high school. That was, unfortunately, my dad. He was the dad who, when I was 14, I hid in the bathroom for three hours, angry and bitter over him coming home drunk on the night before we were supposed to go see the Mets and the Cardinals play. Now, if you're a Red Sox fan, forgive me, I'm a Mets fan, but if you've looked at the standings lately, you guys should be having pity on me because the Mets are not a very good team right now. Uh, but growing up in the 80s, the New York Mets were the team, and I'm sure many of you remember 1986, uh, not a good year uh, for a Boston Red Sox fan, but... Um, but that was the year, or the time, I should say, the time frame where the Mets were the, were the thing. And so for this 14-year-old boy who grew up loving Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden and those New York Mets teams, to go see the Mets play against the Cardinals at Shea Stadium was a big deal. And unfortunately, my dad comes home the night before, and he's wasted, and I got really angry and bitter and went and hid in the bathroom at my grandparents' house. He was also the dad who, when I was 19, in college, away, I get phone calls very often from him when he was intoxicated. Uh, one night I got a call when, when I was 19 in my sophomore year of college, and he tells me on this phone at like midnight, wasted, that he wants to end his life, and then proceeds five minutes later to ask me for money because he had run out of it. Now, I don't know if you guys remember being 19, and some of you guys who are about to be 19, 
we don't have any money. <laughs> I didn't have any money. I was scraping. That's what we were in college. Um, but it was, I use that word confusing a lot with my dad because that's what it was. It was, why is my dad asking me for money? Because he had blown it all drinking. Very confusing, right? So that's just like a little snapshot of what it was like with my father growing up. But I really want to get into the crux of what forgiveness is, and then we'll kind of navigate through that, the story of my dad as well. Um, so, and I was going to say, if you have your Bibles, but I was telling Brandon earlier, you all have a Bible. Because I think it's so cool that there's a Bible on every chair in this church, and I, I want to go take that back to my church in Connecticut and tell my pastor, we need to get a Bible in every chair. It might cost a little extra money, but I just think it's great, because we need to get back to like actually opening up the Bible and reading it and not just trusting that I'm putting up a scripture up there and that it's right. So, but, you have your Bibles, we can go to Ephesians 4. This is going to be the verse we, we really focus on this morning. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. And this is the ESV version. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is Paul talking, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians. And he's saying here, let it all be put away from you. Not some of it, not the occasional bitterness or a little bit of anger, wrath and clamor and slander. He says, let it all be put away from you. Then he says, be kind to one another. We could all use a little bit more of that. I was just in the South last week in Atlanta at a conference and they're, they're very kind in the South. We come to the Northeast and it's like, what happened to that kindness? Where are you people? I'm sure you're all wonderfully kind people. But it says, be kind to one another and tenderhearted, which is not a word we use a lot, especially guys. We're not tenderhearted. But I think that's a great word to think about. But then the key one, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. The definition of the word forgiveness in the dictionary. Looked it up. I love it. I think we have it here. The intentional and voluntary process by which a victim undergoes a change in feelings and attitude regarding an offense. Let's go of negative emotions such as vengefulness with an increased ability to wish the offender well. This is the definition of the word in the dictionary. I think there's a few flaws in this. First of all, first of all I, I believe that when we forgive someone, it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to wish the offender who hurt us well every time. Some of us have been deeply hurt. Deeply hurt. Some of us have had some really bad things happen to us. And I'll show you in a minute why forgiveness isn't about what the other person did. So it's not something that we're going to do, be doing every single time, wishing them well. We pray for them, yes. Are they God's children? Yes. But that's not, and that, by the way, that's not a natural thing either, right? When somebody hurts us, and then turning around and wishing them well. I mean, that's sort of weird, right, in some ways? But then C.S. Lewis has this beautiful quote. And I think it's true. Of course, C.S. Lewis, the theologian, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the author of all those great books from Narnia, and he says, we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to actually practice it. Ain't that the truth? Right? When we see a story of forgiveness, when we hear about someone who is reconciled or, or shown grace and shown mercy to this person who hurt them or wronged them, man, that's a beautiful picture. Right? And then it's like, well, what about 
your life? What about my life? It's all great and dandy until you actually tell me I have to practice it and put it into place. That's a whole nother ball game. And that's the difficult side of forgiveness. Watching it, beautiful. Instilling it into our own lives, very, very hard. But when I think about forgiveness, and I think about the first time maybe I ever even heard the word forgive. I grew up going to a Catholic church as a kid um, with my grandfather mostly, my brothers and I. Uh, it was something that we were dragged, kicking and screaming, to church as 9, 10, 11-year-old kids. Um, we did not enjoy it. Uh, it was something we did because we were basically told we had to do. But one thing that sticks out from going to the Catholic church when I was a kid was learning the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. And I had it memorized. You know when you have songs memorized, they come on in the car, those songs that you haven't heard in 20 years, and you can still just sing that thing right through? Some of you might not want to sing too loudly, but you can sing that thing right through, right? That's what our, the Our Father was for me. I hear it, it'd be like, yep, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I had it memorized. I had no idea what it said or what it meant, but I had it memorized because I went to church with my grandfather. But look inside that Lord's Prayer and Jesus teaching us how to pray now, and you see that he says, forgive, what is it? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That sound familiar? So we're saying that. I was saying that growing up. Even my, I have friends and family who went to church all the time who were saying that prayer every week and didn't realize it says that Jesus is teaching us how to pray here. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive me for the dumb things that I've done as we forgive those and extend that forgiveness back to those who have trespassed against us. It's pretty crazy, right? I mean, I didn't even realize that until I was going through this sermon and putting it together that that's exactly what I've been praying for years and had no idea what it meant. Didn't even really understand that literally I'm praying this prayer and I'm supposed to instill it into my life. So let's go back really quick. I'm going to read Ephesians 4 again, uh, 31 and 32, where it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, all of it, along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And we think about Jesus, right? And he taught us how to pray with that Lord's Prayer. He talks a lot about forgiveness in the Bible, a lot in the New Testament. And he is the master storyteller in that sense, isn't he? Think about the parables that Jesus uh, was telling to the people, prodigal son, the good Samaritan, amazing stories, right? They are still applicable in our lives today, aren't they? I mean, we could put that prodigal son story into, into so many of our lives today, or that good Samaritan story into our lives today. Amazing storyteller. So again, in your Bibles, we can go to Matthew now, Matthew 18, in the New Testament, in the Gospels. And this is, I believe, the NLT here. And it says, Then Peter came to him. And we know who Peter is, right? One of the apostles. Kind of the guy who sticks his foot in his mouth a little bit. Good old Peter denying Jesus three times. Peter, that guy. And he goes to Jesus and he asks him, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus, I can just picture Jesus looking at him like, Man, seriously, you're asking me that question? He says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, the math wizard in me, of course, thinks 490. 
Somebody was going for math, right, in college? 490? And that's good. Once we get to 491, I'm good, right? Don't have to forgive anybody. I'm good. I've got my check marks. Keep that mark all the way up to 490, and we're rock solid. And then you realize, no, of course not. 70 times 7 means every single time. That's a new math, math uh, equation right there, right? 70 times 7 equals every single time. But that's what Jesus was saying. He's literally saying every single time you ask for, for every single time someone sins against you, you are to forgive them. Now, that's crazy. The message version, by the way, says Peter got up the nerve to ask Jesus, which I love that, that line. Because it really is an interesting question. But he's saying, no, 70 times 7, every single time. And by the way, at the, the back end of that scripture, Matthew 18, is the parable of the unforgiving debtor. Read that. Take a Bible if you don't have one and read that on your way home or maybe when you get home. That's a powerful view of how God looks at forgiveness. We could do a whole other sermon just on that parable, but it's powerful. And it looks at why we must forgive and kind of the hip hypocrisy that exists within most of us when we choose not to forgive. But we won't go into that right now. But Jesus is saying here that every single time somebody hurts us, we are supposed to forgive. That is insane when you look at it from a human perspective. Because again, it's like, you don't know what that person did to me. If I had heard this 15 years ago, or even 20 years ago, I would have said, you're crazy. You have no idea what my dad has done to me and my brothers and my mom in my life. You're nuts. It's Jesus' words, not mine. Every single time. And I think if we, we realize, and Jesus is saying, if we don't forgive, if we don't learn to let go, then we don't understand truly understand what God's forgiveness is all about. Because he hates forgiveness. Unforgiveness, I should say. He loves forgiveness. I knew I was going to do that. He hates unforgiveness. And the reason he doesn't like unforgiveness is because it has this seeds of bitterness that grow inside of us. It's like poison. You saw that, that scripture in Ephesians, let all bitterness and anger and slammer and, and clamor, slander, all those words are what build up inside of us when we don't forgive. And it holds us down. It really does. When we have this bitterness that we hang on to and we don't let go of it and we don't forgive and give, give it away, it will bind us, almost shackling us in chains. And oftentimes, we don't even realize it because I didn't realize it. And it spreads like a disease. It's really, really not good. So for my dad and I, it was a confusing relationship. It really was. It was a broken relationship. And we're going from, you know, those times in high school and into college and into my 20s and then into my 30s and now into my 40s. And it was a very, very, um, it was a broken relationship. It was unhealthy. It was not what a son should have for a dad. It wasn't. And most, when I think about my life, there's pillar moments in people's lives. I call them those pillar moments, those those moments that you look back and you're like, that was these big time special moments. So I think about my high school graduation. I think about the, the teens that were up here and what a great time that is, being a high school senior and getting ready to go to college and start that next phase of life. And I think about my dad, he wasn't at my high school graduation because of the alcohol. He was in a rehab. I think about my college graduation. I never thought I would graduate college, to be quite honest with you. I struggled in high school a lot. And I went to SUNY as well, State University of New York. I know one of the kids were going there. 
that's where I went. And I got my, my college degree, and it was a big deal for me. Graduation, no dad. Same thing, still struggling. And I mean, it got, it got worse for him over the years. It never got better for many, many years. It got to the point where he was losing his job, and he was getting DUIs, and he was having ruined marriages, second marriages over this alcohol that he was struggling with. Then I think of my, my third pillar moment. You graduate high school, you graduate college, then you get married. And it was a great day. I married Dawn, and, and it was in 1999 in November. And even at that day, which I still think was one of my favorite days of my life, I wanted my dad. And our, our relationship by this time wasn't great at all. But I really wanted him there. I felt like he hasn't been to these these moments in my life, he hasn't experienced something with his son, so let's get him to our wedding. And it's a long story on how we went through this process, but eventually I had to just uninvite him because he was still drinking and having a real bad, I guess, binge of, of alcohol right around the time when we had to make that choice. And my wife was great. She's just like, whatever you think is best. And I didn't want to ruin the day for her. That's her day. I mean, when you get married, that's the bride. I mean, that's their day. And I didn't want anything to come in the way of that. I didn't want any potential just friction or anything like that. I didn't want that, I didn't want that situation like I was in Little League and my dad screaming and yelling and acting belligerent and drunk. I didn't want that to kind of creep into our wedding at all. So I had to uninvite my dad to my wedding. And then lastly, when my daughter was born in 2004, we walked through a, a few years of infertility and Becoming a dad was so important to me for many reasons because I just wanted to be the opposite of what my dad was to me. And so that was a great day in June of 2004 when Sarah came. But my dad was in a rehab in Utica, New York at that time. So he misses all of these pillar moments. And I also, I also have two younger brothers, and he missed the pillar moments in their lives too, unfortunately. So that's a hard thing to go through. And again, as I got older, I think you realize that like, I had a life to live, and I had a, a wife to love, and I had a daughter to raise, and I had a good job. I worked at ESPN for many years, as Brennan said. I was able to kind of harness this anger that I had towards my dad, push it to the side, and move on with my life. But, and I wrote this book, Live to Forgive, which is back there afterwards, if you guys want to come and hang out and see it, there's a chapter in the book called Boxes in the Attic. That's what happened with my relationship with my dad once I moved on from being you know, a young single man and getting married and having Sarah and getting my job. My dad's, my relationship with my dad was a box that I, that I put in the attic and I kind of stored it away. But guess what? The box was still there. It never disappeared. Right? It was still up there. Eventually, we got to pull the box out, open it up, and see what's inside. But that was the relationship I had with my dad. It was this box in the attic that I kind of put to the side. And we would still talk, occasionally talk, have conversations. 2001, I become a Christian. My brother introduces me to Christ. 26 years old, great day. I mean, I still look back to that day and say that changed everything, and it should. When we come to Christ, it should change everything. It should change our outlook. It should change our hearts. It should bring us joy. And for me, it did. 
on every single part of my life, it did, except my relationship with my dad. And then the hypocrisy grew because it went from Jesus, forgive me for my sins, but I can't forgive my dad for what he's done. I can forgive everybody else, and I can ask you for forgiveness. It's it's so hypocritical when I think about it now. But then I remember when I'm looking back at forgiving him and finally coming to forgive my dad, I think about what Lewis Mead said, the author and theologian. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner is you. That's what happens when we forgive. It's not about what the other person did. And that's why we hold on to the bitterness when somebody hurts us, right? That's why I couldn't forgive my dad for many years, because he had hurt me. But then I realized when I did finally forgive him, it wasn't about him. It was about me. Remember when it says, let all bitterness and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you? When we forgive, love comes in and replaces the bitterness and the anger and the clamor and the slander. That's what happens. So it's not about letting the other person off the hook. It's about ourselves being free and getting rid of all that bitterness. Because when we forgive, that's when we're probably as much like Jesus as we could ever be. We're called to be Christ-like in how we live as followers of Christ. And so we're never more like Jesus than when we forgive, when we choose to forgive, and it is a choice. Because think about Jesus and how he walked the walk and talked the talk. He didn't just say it, he actually lived it. He was beaten and mocked. He was spit on, he was abused, he was betrayed, hung up on a cross. And he's standing on the cross in Luke 23 and he says, Father, forgive them they don't know what they're doing. The people that put Jesus up on that cross, he's standing up there and looking down and saying, forgive them. So he's literally living this out. So he knows. There's that great song by Jeremy Camp. He knows every hurt and every pain. So it's impossible, I think, in many ways to forgive if we don't realize what the Father, the perfect Father, right? God did for us and how much he loves us. For many years, as my dad's drinking got worse and worse from his 20s to his 30s to his 40s to his 50s, when I'm starting to now enter into my 30s and become a dad, and even into his early 60s, it got worse and worse and worse. And the drinking then compounded in his late 50s with depression. If you combine those two, that's a real bad recipe right there. And for many years, I thought I actually had forgiven my dad because I had allowed him back into my life on my terms. You know, I'd see him a couple times a year, occasionally talk to him, hoping that he was sober when he would call. I had to teach my daughter how to use caller ID. You know those little kids when they're three, four years old and that phone rings and they just want to run and answer it? That was my daughter. Then I had to teach her about caller ID. I said, if you see the name Joseph Romano on there, we can't answer that. How terrible is that? But I had to, so I had to put up boundaries for my daughter and for my wife too, because I didn't want her to answer the phone and have a drunken grandfather talking to her and saying whatever nonsense he might have been saying. So for many years, I, I thought I had forgiven him though when I would allow him back into my life, but then I realized when he was drunk and I answered the phone, I would go right back into bitterness, right back into anger, and, and, and that's not healthy, and that's obviously 
the key to me realizing that I hadn't forgiven him. In 2013, five years ago, this month, June of 2013, my dad um, was at the end of his ropes, and he really was in a bad, bad place with depression and drinking too, compounding with it. And I received a call one day from a nurse at a hospital in Albany, New York, where I grew up. And it was at Albany Medical Center, I think was the hospital. And the nurse calls, and she says, Mr. Romano, I wanted to let you know your father is here. He tried to end his life last night. And um, he was unsuccessful, but he is here, and, uh, and he, tried to, you know, he tried to do this. And she said, if you'd like to come down and see him, if you'd like to talk to him, we can make that happen. And I was just, I just said, no, thank you for letting me know. And I hung up the phone. And I was really in shock. I honestly never thought it would get to the point where it was that low where he just didn't want to live anymore. I really didn't. I didn't think that he had enough guts to, to go that far. I really didn't. Um, and I also didn't, I don't think, maybe realize how bad it was for him on his end. Now, I was always concerned about my side of things and how bad it was for us. And I remember receiving that call and, and then really praying for, for a while, maybe a week or so, about how to, how, what to do with this, I guess. What am I supposed to do with this, I think was what I often said to my wife. What am I supposed to do with that news? Normally, if you find out your father's sick, you run and you go to him. But I had such a such, so much baggage that it wasn't even a thought to get in the car and go see him. It was just, what am I supposed to do with this? That was my thought. A week later, he calls, and he is at his lowest point. But we get on the phone together, at least, to talk. And I don't know why I took the call, um, but we talked for a few minutes, and it was very brief. But I, I never in my life still to this day have talked to a person who was at their lowest point and sounded lifeless. There was nothing left in him in the, in the words that were coming out. There was no life at all like there was that day. That was, that was as low a point as I've ever talked to a person, not just my dad, but any person. And uh, I remember just saying this, and I don't even know if I was extending this right away, but I just said, listen, Dad, I am so sorry that you're going through this, and I just want you to know that I forgive you. For everything that's ever happened, I forgive you. And it was the first time I'd ever audibly said those words to him. And, and still, uh, I had a lot of work to do through that, but I just felt like for the first time in my life in talking to him and hearing his lifeless voice, that I finally was able to have this word that I tell people all the time we have to learn to have more, empathy. I was finally able to have empathy and see, I don't know what the definition of empathy is, I didn't look that part up, but I know when I see it, it's basically seeing something from the other person's point of view. That's empathy to me. And for many years, I wasn't seeing it from my dad's point of view at all. I was seeing it from my point of view. And finally that day, I saw it from his point of view, and I'm saying, you know what? I'm guessing this man does not want to be in the state that he's in right now. And so that's where I finally was able to say the words, I forgive you, and then begin to work through the process of what forgiveness is. And really looking at God and how he looks at us, the perfect father on this Father's Day. And God looks at my dad in the absolute worst broken state of his life. And he looks at me, who from a world perspective, 
I got my job at ESPN. I got my beautiful wife. I got my awesome daughter, who's also beautiful. Got to say that. And I'm like, on the surface, everything looks great. I've been going to my church and involved, and everything's really cool. And then my dad's down here, broken, a mess, awful, depressed, broken marriages, drunk all the time, lost his family. And God says, you know what? That guy and this guy are equal in my eyes. I look at every single one of you. I look at your dad and I look at you, Jay, and I love you equally. That's a hard thing for us to grasp because we do that all the time. We put people on levels on where they are and then we think about who God is, the perfect father, looking at us on the same playing field. That's what it finally took. Now, let me preface this. Not every single time that we forgive someone means reconciliation happens. Sometimes you've been hurt so badly or a relationship has been so burned or something happened that you can't reconcile with that person. It's just impossible. But you can't forgive every single time. For myself and my dad, thankfully, we were able to reconcile. My dad slowly got sober. And don't you know, since that day that he was in the hospital, broken, and that was basically the end of him, he hasn't had a drink since, and he's still alive today. How great is that? And this is him now. <laughs> I'm going to lose it. I always lose it when I show this picture. This is him now. He's 67 years old. He's been sober for five years. And I think I get really emotional when I look at that picture because he's wearing a cardinal shirt. I don't know if you remember this. No, and I mean, I know it's funny, it could be used as a joke too, but remember the story, bathroom floor, Mets game, 14, we were going to see the Mets and the Cardinals. So I still think back, there's childhood memories, those boxes in the attic, even just seeing him as a Cardinals fan, and I get emotional because um, those memories don't go away from when you're, when you're a kid. But there is a happy ending here, at least for me and my dad there is. Our relationship is in repair mode, as I like to call it. It's not perfect. It's still very awkward. He's one of the strangest people I've ever known. He is. He's never used the internet. He has a flip phone. He doesn't know how to text. It's like his 1992 in my dad's life. It really is. He has newspapers. He reads them. I like newspapers, too. But like he, he literally, that's why those phone calls were called those dreaded phone calls for me, because it was the only way we could communicate. But he's sober. And I realized as I tell the story now, and we've written a book about it, and he gave me the, you know, the check mark and the, and the blessing to write the book and be as open and as honest about the struggles we went through for many years because he's realized, and so have I, that we all struggle with it. And if it can help one person, this is my dad's words, not mine, if it can help one person, you need to write the book. You need to tell the story about us. Because I used to think, who cares? I'm just a guy who had a bad relationship with his dad, and it happens. Everybody goes through that. And then I realized we're all not alone, and the more we tell our story, the more it opens up opportunities to heal. We just want to heal. Some of us, we're just so broken and we struggle. And the forgiveness is such a giant part of that, because when we forgive, it allows love to come in and replace that bitterness and that hurt. And it fills those wounds with healing. That's what we need. So I think about why we must forgive, and we're going to close here in a second. Why we must forgive, because that's what Jesus did for all of us every single day. 
He forgave us, you and me, at our worst points. When we do the worst things, when we say the worst things. Jesus still forgave us. 70 times 7, right? Every single time. And so I'm going to close with this question. Two questions, very simple questions, and then I'll close in prayer. Have you been forgiven? So for some of us in here, maybe, we haven't been able to ask that forgiveness from God. Maybe we feel like we've done the hurting, and we can't come to God because we've hurt and done too much hurting in our lives. I'm here to tell you God has his arms wide open, and he wants you right where you are. He doesn't care what you've done. You're his son. You're his daughter. So if you haven't been forgiven, today may be that day for you. So have you been forgiven? The other question is, who do you have to forgive? We all have to forgive someone. Maybe it's ourselves. Maybe it's our dad. Maybe it's someone who's hurt us for many, many years and we, ha- we can't let it go. We can't move forward. I'm here to tell you, we can. And you can. So who do you have to forgive?